0: Welcome to another Motorsport Magazine podcast, and you join us in London in a week when the United Kingdom is freezing up. In a week when Sebastian Vettel must be happy that the Australian Grand Prix is not the next on the calendar. Clearly, a man who's consumed so much Red Bull that he now thinks he's not only the driver but the team manager as well. And in a week when two women present Formula One on the BBC. And Jake Humphrey, previously of Formula One on the BBC, is now on another channel talking to women about having babies. The world is always changing. And with us on the podcast today is one of those women from the BBC, Lee McKenzie, also a contributor now to the Motorsport Magazine website, and a hugely popular one to you. Before we uh, get going, I must tell you about uh, the latest subscription offer for Motorsport Magazine and this one is a very special offer for you, the listeners to our podcast if you subscribe to Motorsport Today you can save up to £29 and receive a free Motorsport book and this is a good one it's the collection of Simon Taylor's Lunch With articles from our magazine and as we all know, Simon's Lunch With is one of the most popular features of them all so, if you subscribe today, save £29 and get Simon Taylor's Lunch With book worth £20. Well, £19.99, give or take. Anyway, uh, if you want to take us up on this offer, then uh, come to our website, which is motorsportmagazine.com and that's forward slash ST13, motorsportmagazine.com forward slash ST13 or you can call us on 0207 three four nine eight four seven two and surprise surprise quote podcast with us around the table today is our editor in chief Nigel Roback Simon Aaron fresh from Sapang our editor Damien Smith and of course Leah McKenzie who is also fresh as a daisy from sweaty old sapang so welcome everybody um, I guess we've got to get one thing out of the way haven't we really (laughs) Um, should he be uh, punished or not Lee McKenzie
1: I saw John Watson's comments about this I think it's very difficult to punish and penalise a driver for winning a Grand Prix if when passing Mark Webber he'd taken both of them out that's a very different story but to penalise a driver for winning a race I don't think you can do that
0: Agreed
2: no, no. De- dead right. There's no regulation, is there, about that? So he hasn't done anything wrong in, in the eyes of the law. So I think internally, uh, Christian Allner's got now a very difficult situation to handle there, and uh, that's th- that's probably the most challenging team manager situation he's he's ever faced. I would, I would say even more than Turkey 2010. This is this is bigger. Um, I mean, this is Vettel's rascass moment, isn't it? Essentially, and, and he's got uh, <laughs> or Adelaide or or, or yeah. Silverstone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be call. in. I wouldn't want to be in Christian shoes right now.
3: No, I mean I can't really add anything to that. It's um, there's a there's a side of you that kind of admires the ruthless pragmatist. I mean that that's the kind. It's a kind of ruthlessness that you've seen from sany You've seen from Michael Schumacher possibly not from R- Ralph Schumacher um, but you know that's the kind of separator it's a bit in some ways you know, a couple of years ago when we saw Fernando Alonso dive inside Felipe Massa inside the pit lane in Valencia it's, it's the same kind of ruthless mindset uh, I'm not saying the circumstances are entirely the same but you know it's just that's the kind of separator that the, the guys who win multiple world championships you know, have Yeah.
4: Uh, yeah, I can't argue with any of that, except all I would say is whatever the hell multi 21 means, and obviously it means whole station. Um, I'm going to use it a lot. And, uh, yeah, you know, whole station means whole station.
1: I think it's Weber well. had
4: led most of the way, and if, yep. if, it would have been one thing if Weber had plainly been beaten out of the pits but he wasn't Uh, and I I just think if you're going to operate like this I mean for sure not that he's ever trusted him but (laughs) there's no way in the world Mark Webber is ever going to trust Vettel for one second again and I thought the most telling comment actually the whole weekend was Christian saying well there was no point in telling him to give the place back because he wouldn't have taken notice so then you are bound to conclude Christ people talk about Alonso running Ferrari this is a different level altogether at, at Red Bull
3: yeah, and, they, and again, the reason Mark Webber was ahead was because he timed his first tyre stop correctly. I uh, mean, uh, Fettel, went, Fettel went too soon. Um, so, you know, um, Mark would have been a perfectly deserving winner of that race
1: and can you imagine what it would look like to all the viewers around the world if a driver was penalized for winning a grand prix you can't penalize a footballer for scoring a goal and and if they're your sort of casual viewers and and even those who understand it it just would be inherently wrong i think to actually get to that stage what they do internally is a whole different matter
0: actually talking about um thing things that are set up if you like with 20 or 15 laps to go lee um as a punter it seems to me that a couple of other things are going on because they're not driving the cars flat out because they can't because of the tires two teams spent the last 15 laps of the last race holding station or not as the case may be i mean are we looking at real real racing here
1: Well, no, I I don't think we are. Um, And even Mark Webber said afterwards, there is a naivety when people watch sport, and it doesn't matter what sport, it actually is. I've never interviewed... A, a more miserable top four <laughs> in, my, in my life. You you, know, it, you suddenly thought, have I got this wrong or something? You know, there's people ex- ecstatic to be 13th and I'm like interviewing guys that look like, you know, they've just you know, they've well, run over their own dog or something. You and
0: look at the podium, it was, it was like, as somebody died?
1: Yeah, I, I, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I think, and that's a shame, that is a shame. And I don't think we need to, buy, to be too naive about it. But if you can't race, And if you can, as I said in my column on motorsport, if you can't enjoy winning a Grand Prix, then you have to wonder what the point is.
0: But also, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have Man United and Real Madrid saying with twenty minutes to go, okay, it's one
3: all. Let's leave it at that. You know, I mean, it happened between Austria and Germany in the World Cup once, I seem to recall. But um, I mean, you know, I'm I think it's 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 slightly odd the way things have flipped around. I mean, you go back to Le Mans before cars had electronic guardian angels and can be driven flat out around the clock. And the guys that won the race were those who were very good at driving consistently, consistently at a percentage. Um, you know, guys like Henri Pescarello, Derek Bell, who were Olivier Jean de Bien, were multiple winners there. They weren't absolute top, top liners in F1, but at Le Mans where, you, where the game was slightly different and there were some very, very fast Le Mans winners, you know, Rint, X, et cetera, Dan Gurney. But now sports cars are driven flat out around the clock, because they can be, and F1 cars are being driven at 80, 85%. So we're not actually seeing a true picture. Personally, I mean, if with, you know, durable tires, the Red Bulls rushed off and won by a fortnight, well, so be it. That's because they've done a better job. And I'd I'd rather see a true picture than something that's manipulated by engineering a car for tire life.
4: I I entirely agree with, with Simon. I thought last year where everybody was getting terribly excited the first seven races or whatever they were all won by different drivers And I, I just thought no no this can't be right You know this is not this is not reality mm. uh, And I thought I must say um, in Sepang. I thought it had reached this whole tire thing I thought it had reached a whole you know a new level and to me it was Farcical that we were treated the last 20 minutes through you know Angry drivers on the radio, you know, (laughs) moaning. um, It just seemed. I just thought this is lost reality. This is. This is not. This is not Grand Prix racing. But
2: Lee, you're talking to a global TV audience, and it's all about entertainment, and, and they're loving it, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they are loving it. But I think when you think back to was it Canada 2010, 2011, when we had that extraordinary race when before Pirelli came in and I think everyone thought, wow, what an exciting race, tyres going off and here we go. And then it almost became the norm. So that novelty factor is gone now. Mm. And it, it just... Some, I think there's a lot of people thinking, why can't we just get back to the racing? You know, a race like that is exciting every once in a while. But, you know, even if you look back at last season, we were going to Valencia thinking, oh goodness, it's Valencia. And then it was an exciting race, and you think, well, how did that happen? And you were having to watch things back a couple of times to think "Did actually did that happen. Now that's great because we want to have exciting Formula One racing, but I think it also has to be true and maybe, obviously, not the word honest racing, but you know, but proper Grand Prix racing, so people can look back and not think it's a joke era. That it's a proper, true era of of having you know five or six like last year, great world champions on the grid.
4: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I mean, Lee is perfectly right. All, all through the history of the sport, there have always been races that have been won and lost on tyres. Yeah, sure. But that was you know happenstance. Now it's actually engineered into yeah, yeah, the yeah. formula, um, yeah. and. You know, I, I think I, I speak to fans, and, and and some of them are fundamentally baffled by the very idea of building deliberately terrible tyres.
0: Well, I can relate to that. that and person.
4: I, you know, yeah. anyway. I was saying to Morris Hamilton the other day, you know, I very often, in a circumstance like this, think, God, what would Jenks have, have made of all this? And Jenks was always, I have to say, bored stiff by tyres. He was, he was. oh, I don't understand tyres, not interested. But, but the very idea of building something to stop a racing car going as quickly as it could would be anathema to him.
0: Damien, Damien mentioned global television entertainment. And the women are taking over, aren't they? <laughs> so so we've, we've got to ask you the big one, haven't we? How disappointing was it?
1: Not to get the job, mm-hmm. or to be working with Eddie again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to get the job, it was, it was disappointing yeah I've got to say it was disappointing and I did have to sit back and um, decide whether I wanted to continue not because I was throwing my toys out the pram or I didn't want to be a number two driver um, (laughs) just because you know I, I wasn't quite understanding why I didn't get the job now as it happens there's been a couple of moments where I've sort of sat back and thought, actually I, I do love the job I do. I absolutely love speaking to the drivers. And Brazil, um, last year I was the only one out of the BBC team or whoever that managed to get to speak to Sebastian, yeah. Yeah. Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, these guys. And it was the same on, on Sunday. And you know, when you do interviews that are, are well received and yeah. um the Weber and Vettel interviews that I did seem to be very well received you know that's actually a a really nice thing because i think probably that's what i'm good at that's what i'm better at um but you know it would still have been nice to get the opportunity you know one ever likes to be overlooked i think probably that's what it comes down to when there's a lot of egos involved and things i still present the inside f1 on the friday night and saturday night on the news channel i'll still stand in um as a main presenter um, when Susie can't do it, um, but I, I mean, I'm not in a bad situation, am I? I still get to go to every Grand Prix, and I absolutely love my job.
0: I got to tell you, I'm pretty worried about you sitting here next month.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you should be, Rob.
5: You should. <laughs>
0: yeah, thank you very much. It's it's a hell of a buzz getting a good interview, isn't it? Though.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you know when you're getting a good interview. There've been a lot of times where you know you're not getting a good interview. Paul Durrister, <laughs> Kimi Raikkonen. <laughs> Did I mention those words? That, I mean, I got a lot of abuse for the one that went out on Saturday because because apparently we put him in a very bad light. But I'm not <laughs> quite sure if we he needed our help. It nothing to do with him, exactly. it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, I, I knew when uh, Lewis was. Uh, doing his best Ali G in Monaco a couple of years ago, I knew when Rubens was saying about blah 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 that's what the team will tell me and, and I knew on, on Sunday um, and as I say you do an awful lot of interviews where people are talking about tyres and pit stops and things and, and don't get me wrong, that's important but when you can get the real human element out, the sort of disappointment the guilt, the emotions you know, that's what I, that's what I enjoy. Absolutely. trying to make people cry that's what that's what brings me <laughs> happiness
0: <laughs> i think i think jay comfrey's doing that on channel four with women having babies isn't he
1: his, and he's, uh, his wife had a baby in the last few she days as well right. so <laughs> there'll be a lot of noise in his house but
2: i guess you get quite a rapport with the drivers given how much you see them and
1: yeah you, know. you do i mean we see them i i sometimes think they're probably sick of the sight of me, I'll interview them from the Thursday right through till the Sunday and we do sit down interviews, a lot of these guys I've known since um, GP2 or even F3000 and things like that uh, and I do still make it my business to know, I'll still go over to the GP2 paddock, you know I went to a couple of rounds of British F3 last year and stuff so I do make it my business to know the driver's coming through and and then it's not a shock, then it's just they look up and think oh god is she still here with her microphone And, and I. but I think that's important and I think probably that's why the driver's do speak to me in a slightly different way. And it's very different on television as well because, you know, sometimes I'll go to the, the Fleet Street interviews and you see them and if they ask a question to Lewis, for example, and Lewis doesn't like it, he'll say to them, you're an idiot. Why would you ask me that? That never gets heard of again. No one would write that in the thing. If someone calls me an idiot, it's on camera and everyone can see that. So there's a very different thing. It's a very... Um, Public way of interviewing my way, whereas I think quite a lot of the the written press can can hide the abuse. <laughs> but if a driver gives me abuse, then yeah. it's there for everyone yeah. to see. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, absolutely, you're very exposed. Yeah, you absolutely. are. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you'll be very pleased to know, Lee, that there, we've got a whole page of questions for yeah. you, which shows you just how how popular your your motorsport magazine work is. <laughs> um, but can I? Can we get one thing? Out, other thing out of the way, and and what is it with you and Eddie Jordan?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I tried, I tried to think what the context is. <laughs> well, um. I mean, you know, it's I think a leading <laughs> question. <laughs>
5: no, no,
0: no. But I think if we're lucky enough to have a television presenter with us, we have to we have to ask what the real deal is here. I mean, do you and Eddie
1: get on well? Yeah, we do get on well. Um, he's actually been, he's quite protective in a in a worrying way of me. He. Um, he does always make sure that i'm fine uh that i'm you know getting looked after at the bbc and all the rest of it i mean he can be an absolute nightmare and when i'm trying to sit in the office and write my scripts and he's buzzing around and trying to show me photos of his you know round the world boat trip and stuff like that that's not the time so there is quite a lot of heated argument he does say i speak to him like nobody else has ever spoken to him but then there's this other um it's like a loyalty i was in a an airport lounge and I picked up, I, I don't know what magazine it was, and Eddie jumps out of you when you least expect it. When you go to buy a suitcase, <laughs> he's the face of a suitcase manufacturer. And when you go to have a cocktail, he's the face of a gin company, and you think, oh, like, there's no escape. So I was sitting in an airport lounge, and I picked up a magazine, and it was like you know the history of Eddie Jordan in Formula One. And it was of all the amazing people that you've ever worked with in Formula One, and you've brought in lots of drivers, who would you class as your best friends in Formula One? And bizarrely, he named Peter Sauber and me, which is very kind. But I do think, that, you know, I'm not saying it damaged my street cred. But if people <laughs> think that that I, every night of my life I'm going out for dinner with Peter Sauber and Eddie Jordan, you know, I, it did make me think, oh my goodness. But that was very sweet of him to do that. But um, yeah, he is very protective of me. Sometimes you need it, in other times. A lot of times you don't need it. <laughs> I
0: think that sums it up very, very, very neatly. Actually, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, um, back back to um, the more serious business. Um, you you uh, were a co-driver in the World Rally Championship. <laughs> I mean,
1: um, yeah, I was asked when I was doing a program um, called Speed Sunday. I was asked to sit alongside. Um, Tony Jordan, as many people have done. And um, off we went into the distance. I ended up doing three rounds of the British Championship and then Rally GB. And that went actually better than I think most people expected, including me. And then off we went again to Norway, to Rally Norway. And that was scary. That was very scary. I think uh, maybe about five of the stages had been cancelled. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. I really did. I've always wanted to do the Arctic Rally. And I would hate to think that maybe it, that was my, my final uh foray into rallying, but I did I did really enjoy it. But also I do know my limits, you know. And I knew that I was there because I was on television and I could get coverage for him and all the rest. Of it. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't thinking I was the next big star in co driving.
2: He's he's good at that. He's he's got me in for a couple. I've done two national ones in Fiestas with him, and we've yet to finish a rally actually. So uh, <laughs> the first first one the gearbox broke and um, his language was quite choice. The second one um, I got lost in the notes, so I shut up, and he was going it's okay, it's okay, and then we. Crashed, <laughs> and uh, they had a camera attached to the the front of the car, looking back at us. And uh, I just looked like a, a naughty schoolboy who'd, who'd you know been caught. And um, he was his language was, you know. It's not the Tony Jardine you used to see on telly, that's for No. Sure.
1: Well, we had we actually crashed, and it was a place where obviously no one should crash because there were no fans for miles. And as we flew over and landed on top of a, a pile of logs, so the car is just balancing cartoon style. Um, you just see him going, "Get out and push, darling," whilst he still sat there. And I ended up having to run for about over a mile, and I found these three very elderly Welsh fans in the middle of the forest. And uh, Tony always says, as we were running. Along one of the old men, like fell flat on his face, and I was. I said to him, Are you okay? And he went, Yes, I am. I said, Well, get up then. And Tony said it was the most embarrassing thing he's seen, and he would rather have just left the car, like you know, balancing precariously. But no, I did enjoy it, it was great fun.
0: It's a tough old world, isn't it? Eh, absolutely. <laughs> um, can we look ahead briefly to the next Grand Prix, which is as we speak, is what two and a half weeks. Yeah. Good thing it's not Melbourne, as far as Vettel's concerned, I would say. But anyway, um, China, uh, I always think, quite a boring race, a a bit of a boring track. But do you think that we'll see uh, much change before we come to Europe? Or do you think that the pattern we've we've kind of got at the moment is what we're going to get until Europe?
1: It's a difficult one, isn't it? I'm not really sure if we've... Got a pattern as yet. I mean, I think that that Mercedes are hoping that they're going to go to China and be as good again as they were last year. Um, Obviously, that double DRS had a huge impact last year as well. But um, I think there's so the the dynamics at the moment, the politics at the moment, um, will have to calm down a lot. Because we don't really know the the implications of that. I mean, people yesterday were even saying, you know, would Mark Webber turn up to China? Now, I didn't ever get the feeling that he wouldn't. But, you know, it depends really what happens in these teams to settle things down. Because there's going to be a lot of tension there um, within Red Bull. We don't even know. Maybe within Mercedes. W- what McLaren can do over the next couple of weeks is absolutely crucial as well. Um, you know, they need a whole new front of the car. Gary Anderson was saying that a lead time for a front wing and things would be, what, two weeks. Um, so if they actually can try and make some magic in the next couple of weeks, then they might play a slightly bigger part. And the weather in China's, you know, can be iffy as well. So I'm not really, sh- I, I'm not really sure. I don't think it's going to be like the start of last year, but um, I'm not sure if it will necessarily be a Red Bull or a Lotus that will win China.
3: I think... Um one thing to say about China is that it, it is actually finally beginning to mature as an event. I remember a few years ago walking around the track on Friday morning with Mark Hughes, and he counted the number of spectators. I think there were 57 or 58. Um, I mean, there were lots and lots of soldiers and officials and stuff, but 58 punters actually sitting in grandstands. Last year, for the first time on race day, you actually sensed there was a a kind of proper. I mean, there's a railway line that now runs from Shanghai to the circuit, and you actually sensed last year there was a proper audience, um, a cosmopolitan audience, and people start. I mean, there are still grandstands there that have never had a, a bum on them ever. They've got advertising tarpaulins over them, but just just last year it felt as though there was a bit of a crowd, stand, and the, it had began to feel more like an event should. I mean, the circuit is still too far from Shanghai, which is a wonderful city, but the circuits, you know. Nowhere near it um, but it, just, it does just feel like it's beginning to mature as an event and I think yeah, that's, it is a good thing
0: Nigel I mean w- are McLaren going to come back they are aren't they they've got to haven't they
4: well they always do don't they um, the, 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 the thing that gets more difficult to get used to with McLaren is um, these sort of poor starts to seasons are actually you know, becoming much more frequent than yeah. they ever were I mean, you know, we all remember the year with uh, the chaotic start of the year when Mansell couldn't actually fit in the car. You remember that? And I that do remember that terrible twin twin rear wing thing, whichever number it was. But that was very much the exception at the time. McLaren normally, you know, started the season well, and you know, you God, look, twelve months ago, Melbourne last year. I mean, Lewis and, uh, and Jensen had the front row to themselves.
0: Long time since they've won a championship. So
4: yeah, yeah, um, but but they've taken a risk, haven't they? I mean, they. This is the last year of the V8 formula, um, and they finished the year last year with you know with the best car and it, uh, the temptation ordinarily would have thought would be simply to evolve it for one last year instead of which they've gone radical if you like as Ferrari did 12 months ago um, Do you think Martin Whitmarsh should be worried? I mean if this was a,
2: a football team we'd say his position would be under threat I mean he's extremely honest we know after after Melbourne he was very frank about the situation they were in and again in Malaysia they'd improved slightly but they're still a long way away but the fact is he's the guy in charge he's not the team owner um, he's got a
4: People to answer to
2: is is there a concern there for him?
4: I don't think there should be, um, but you know who knows. Um, I've I've always had the impression, with perhaps a one single notable exception, he has the support of the
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> of the board. Who could that uh, certainly, <laughs> certainly,
4: you know Mansa, OJ, for instance, you know is a huge supporter and, and fan of Martins. So, I wouldn't have thought his position was uh, was in doubt, and I don't think it should be.
3: Jensen made the point in uh, Malaysia that although they were still far from being you know, pitch perfect, he said that they, he, he had the sense that they, 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 they had, even in the four or five days, yeah, when, that they, uh, they had made a significant... And where, they, where they'd been more than a second off the pace in Australia, he felt in reality in Malaysia, is like half a second. Still, no, nowhere near good enough. But yeah. A, qua- yeah, a quantum step in the right direction.
4: Well, I suppose it helps the situation. You know, the, the situation with Paddy Low. You know, he ain't there to uh, sort of well, you help know. things along, and you know, which can't be a, a great thing for the team.
0: What's your take on what's happening at McLaren?
1: It's been interesting to see. I mean, Jensen has looked so disheartened and downbeat and he, he was a bit better on sunday it 's got to be said he was a bit more maybe philosophical or accepting of the situation. I suppose yeah, I think it's the first weekend. it must be a bit of a shock when that realization kicks in, especially when he 's gone to to Melbourne and been so strong in yeah. the past couple of years mm-hmm. and to finish off as, as you said, Nigel, with you know a car which has won the last two Grand Prix last season y- you know it 's not good to get into this to this situation but <coughs> they need to catch it used to be that you could almost rely on ferrari sort of turning up in barcelona to start their formula one campaign in the last few years and and sadly it looks like this year it's mclaren's turn it it all depends on how quickly they can catch up and and if is it one problem which is fixable or does one problem lead to another problem and i'm not sure if they even know that at this stage um but it was interesting when you said i think you said about it's been a long time since McLaren won a yeah, championship. Yeah. It was interesting hearing Martin talking about team orders and saying that he was happy the year that Fernando and, and Lewis you know both could have won the championship they didn't give any team orders, and that actually cost them the championship. Sure did. but that is actually you know not a problem as far as he's concerned because th- he's got a clear conscience about that so it's quite a different take on the on the team order situation that maybe they threw away a chance maybe that was silly everyone's got their own opinion of it but it was just, you know, when, when we're in this world of um, cynical team orders, whether it be Mercedes or, or Red Bull, that McLaren maybe gave away that opportunity to win another championship.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And
4: yeah. that, but that's always been the philosophy <coughs> at McLaren. Sure. And that may be, you know, the one and only thing left that Ron and uh, and Martin actually agree about. I would think so, definitely. <laughs> but that has never changed all the way through. Ron was always...
0: Yeah,
4: a racer. A- ...allowing his drivers to race, and Martin's the same.
0: Yeah. Can we, can we move on to some questions for... Um, Lee McKenzie of which we have a great many. And I want to start with the one I like best, uh, which comes from a Finn. Uh. <laughs> yes, his name is Arne Guala. I,
1: I can think. say Rakastan Suomer, which means I love Finland, so that will hopefully appease whatever else I'm about to say.
0: <laughs> Do you know what? She's answered it. She's What's answered that? you have answered the question. Well, it wasn't you love Finland. Don't speak any Finnish. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Nigel. <coughs> the question actually is: Do you love or hate Finnish drivers? <laughs> Come on, uh, Lee.
1: I'm not sure if I have to love or hate them. Um, no, you don't. Well, I think. You know, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I mean, Valtteri Bottas um, was my neighbour for quite a while, and I find him just a fascinating character. He is. Um, I think his dedication to the sport is is excellent, but it's also quite amusing. You know, even before Japan last year, when he was driving on free practice, he started like setting his alarm clock to get onto Japanese time, something like eight to ten days before he went. So he was like running around in the Oxfordshire countryside in the pitch black. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's no, super like, fit as well, he isn't is he? He is absolutely super fit. Apart from the fact the first time I met him was in the summertime Wine Cafe, but never mind. We'll scan over <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, it's um, <coughs> yeah. I always like Finnish drivers. I, I like their mm. attitude. I like. There's so many Finns in the paddock now as well. I think there's six or seven trainers who are Finnish as well. You know, Lewis's trainers Finnish, Sebastian's trainers Finnish. No, I, I I um I like my Finnish friends. Okay, good answer.
0: I hope that answers
1: you, Arne If it Off doesn't, the hook, I think. Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: we, we, uh, Tom Arnold wants to know who who is the hardest driver to interview.
1: I think Kimi. Kimi is pretty obviously, really. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it depends. Even when he won, it still wasn't a particularly easy interview because he will uh, he, he doesn't necessarily challenge you, but he doesn't give you the answer you expect, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I, I I'm not expecting people to agree with me, and no, sure. w- when you talk to them. But he's, he is probably the, the most difficult one. You, yeah, it is, it is hard work. Mm. It is hard work to speak to him.
0: We've, we've talked about McLaren, but um, it would be great, says Patrick Kelly, if I could ask one of the following, so I will. Um, what's your favourite place to go to a Grand Prix?
1: Um, well, different reasons. I love Spa. I love Spa as a circuit. I think it's fantastic. I, d- I don't mind the rain. I like the atmosphere yeah. there. I think it's Wonderful. fantastic. I like to have a, a walk around, and, and the fact where you can do Spa and Monza normally in seven days, or yeah. this year in two weeks, that's really what motor racing is all about. Bizarrely, then we head off to Singapore, which is also another fantastic place, um, and, and, you, and it's polar opposite. But to me, that works well. You know, I, I'm not one of those people that doesn't like going to Monaco. A lot of people in F1 say, oh, it's such hard work and it's not easy to get around and all the rest of it. But you can never um, feel but excited and, and sort of privileged to be there. When you see people are paying so much money um, to be there, you know, y- you should enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, then, you well, know... it's a pretty dramatic place exactly. to watch a racing car, and It's it? not maybe the most exciting Grand Prix, um, but for me, Spas is a great circuit. I love going there.
3: I'd just like to say about Monaco as well, that the, the, the thing that... I mean, it's the slowest average lap of the season but from trackside it looks like the fastest by a million by, by a factor of a million because just you know, proximity embellishes the spectacle it's, it's, it's wonderful to see that and
1: tonight. also in an actual fact you will never get closer to a Grand Prix you'll never get closer to a paddock without having a paddock pass and you, you do I think it's a great place for fans to come because even you know to get from the
3: here's a cool fact
2: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact
1: Paddock to, to Red Bull, you've got to have Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel walking around in public areas and things. That doesn't happen anywhere else.
0: Mm. I feel it my duty to say that you can get very close to a Grand Prix car at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. That is true. That's true. They're not
2: going quite as quickly as they are in Monaco. Though. No, they're not. But the, the, the privilege I always found working in Monaco um, was getting a tabard and going in the tunnel. I was <laughs> just, just going to uh, say the same, yeah. I mean, however
4: jaded you think you might be. Yeah. Yeah. Two minutes in there, yeah. yeah. You can't hear for the rest
2: of the weekend, but that's uh, you know, yeah. It it's is. Worth, tr- it's it worth losing is, your hearing. It but is fine, There was a, a Coke machine um, which um, uh, sold other um, fizzy products as well, um, but I used to have to hide behind it. You, you remember this? Oh yes, 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 yeah, yeah. And you'd poke, poke your head out just in case anything went wrong, and that, the Coke machine was your protection basically. If anything, if anything happened, but it was just just incredible, just such a sight and sound. It's the uh, you know and. and yeah, that's that's the, the bonus of being where we are, isn't
0: it? Let's uh, let's move to a question that's of more general interest to a, to a global audience because we have one of those too, by the way. Um Massa at Ferrari outqualified Alonso both races, both Last Grand Prix. four Grand Prix, no. Yeah. Last four Grand Prix, thank you. Yeah. Thank God Simon's here. He's his fact his factual memory is amazing. Um what's going on there Nigel?
4: Well, I mean for a start, Massa is you know, starting to look now like the driver he was before his accident. Um, the bigger mystery to me is what on earth was so wrong 12 months ago? Uh, because he, he wasn't sort of just slightly behind his teammate at that stage, he was, I mean, they were at different ends of the grid.
0: Well, they were talking about getting rid of him. And,
4: and, of course they were, but and I'm and I'm sure Mark, you know, Mark Webber was offered the driver at that point, and I'm sure he now is thinking to himself, mate, what was I thinking of? <laughs> But anyway, um, he did get it back in the second half of of last year. And I'm just, I'm really interested and curious to know, and I haven't heard any sort of satisfactory answer from anywhere, what did it? I think there's a case to be made for saying, like McLaren always said, when the car was perfect, nobody could beat Prost. When the car wasn't perfect, nobody could beat Senna. Mm. Um, And I think last year when the car was pretty bloody awful, most of the year, let's face it, Alonso was able to get a lot more out of it than uh, than Massa was. Now the car is pretty good to drive and Felipe's got his confidence back. And uh, I I don't think it's necessarily a surprise. You know, you think of them, I know Kimi won his last, won his championship in his first year at Ferrari. But fundamentally, if you analyse those three seasons, there's no question, you know, prior to the accident in Hungary, no question which Ferrari driver was their leading light. And it was, it was Felipe. Yeah,
0: memories are short, aren't they?
4: Of course. <clears throat> you know, and, and you know, we all know how good Kimi is. Um, it'll surprise me if, if this routinely out-qualifying uh, Fernando goes on. But the fact is, for the first time in a long time, Ferrari have actually got two... Um, you know, two drivers, you know, doing justice to uh, to the car.
3: When Massa came back, at, um, his first race after the accident, Bahrain 2010. I mean, he, out- he qualified Ferdi there as well, and uh, by I can't remember three tenths. I mean, it was quite a sizeable margin. But then Fernando had nailed him by turn two, and that was kind of that was that, that was kind of the pattern set for the next year for the next. Uh, well, until until sort of of last year, really.
4: And I must say, a lot of people have gone on about Hockenheim that year, you know, when when, when, when Massa was told yeah. to move over, um, which I thought I thought the reaction to that was absolutely <laughs> ludicrous, frankly, because it was patently obvious Ferrari only had one hope for the world championship, and that was Alonso. Um, of course, there was supposedly a ban on team orders at that time, which is why there was such a furore about it. But... Um, Ever since then, there have been people have suggested, oh well, you know, poor Felipe never got over that. Well, give me a break. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is he's it, a big boy. Is this you don't it, sulk for two years? So I can't believe it was it was uh, it was that. Is this a talking point in
0: the paddock, Lee, or is it just Felipe's I mean, upturn of form? Yeah,
1: yeah, we have we actually have been talking about it quite a lot. But I interviewed him. I can't remember where it was last year. It was towards the end of last year anyway, and, um, and he basically said he'd had no confidence, he doesn't know what went wrong, uh, he just couldn't get it, he couldn't get to grips with things, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, some, you know, and as, as Nigel was saying, something has clicked and it's all come good, um, but last year I'd interviewed Fernando and you could almost not have watched qualifying and you knew that he would have been qualified in fifth. Yeah. That was just the yeah. situation. So yeah. you sort of, went, Fernando, fifth again, and yeah. he'd laugh, and you'd <laughs> laugh, and off you yeah. would go. Um, but he knows it doesn't matter really where he qualifies. Sunday is his day, and he will always be in front. It looks like, uh, and you know, people talk about betting in Formula One and team orders. You, I would never. Bet on Felipe Massa To win a Grand Prix I'd bet on Fernando Alonso To, to win a Grand Prix And, and, that, and that's worth Felipe out-qualifying For the last four Grand Prix You just know that Sunday Is yeah. going to be Fernando's day Rather than Felipe's yeah. Yeah, And that's, that's, a that's a shame But that's the way it that's is That's a good point though. But I mean
3: Fernan- Fernando's you, you never really You know, you see Stunning laps From Ayrton Senna Michael Schumacher Over the years I can't recall Ever seeing An absolutely stellar Fernando Alonso lap Not one that really Sticks in the well, mind I think But but, I mean, the level he drives at, he drives at every single mm. lap. Look at a race history chart, and his lap times are just... Mm. I mean, it's... it's Metronomic. I mean, absolutely, but I mean, all metronomically fast as well.
4: Yeah, yeah. Oh. Oddly enough, the only, the, when you're talking about a stunning single uh, qualifying lap, if I were trying to think of one in connection with him, I would think of uh, of Monza and the Renault with the damaged car, which yes, I thought yeah. was simply out of nowhere. Yeah, um, But no, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, mind you, having said that, I thought his pole position at Silverstone in the wet last year was pretty, pretty. Sunny.
3: Yeah, it, 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 yes, it, it was. But I mean, um, last, last year he had a couple of poles in the wet. I mean, it, it, yeah, always a great, always a great leveler. Um, Hockenheim was Hockenheim was the same. But it's, it's just you don't sort of nothing that really... I can't recall one that really took your breath. No, off. I agree. No, I, not I, in the I, same I, way that you I, I, with, with, with... Except,
4: with the except Mono- that one time when the, the Renault... Of, yeah, 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 that, yeah, that's the one that yeah. sticks in my mind, but I agree with you.
0: OK, let's move on to another question for Lee, and it comes from Patrick Kelly, and you'll see why the name Patrick Kelly is relevant in just a second, because he wants to know, are there any really good young Irish drivers coming up from other formulae? Do we... Because it's quite a long time... Isn't it? Since we had a really top Irish driver, I'm looking at Simon because he's bound to say no of course, don't you remember something?
1: Are was to- talking Northern and Southern? Yeah. this as a collective... I worked with Adam Carroll for um, yeah, you did. a lot of years and did his PR and I'm, I'm very happy to see that um, he's now involved in GTs with McLaren this season that's that's great. Um, you know, And there is a driver who won what I think it was six or seven GP2 races against your Lewis's and Rosberg's and all that sort of thing um, you know he won at Monaco he won Spa he won Silverstone you know the, the proper tracks for a driver to prove yep. themselves um, and yet you know yep. yeah. where's, where's the money that you need nowadays <laughs> to get yeah. in and I, I'm, as I say I'm delighted that he's he's um, driving again this year yeah, I, I, he actually also driver coaches will buller um sure. so he was going to william Buller, who was oh, doing um gp3 last GP3 year, last yeah. year and, and won a race as well um and adam was coming to races and driver coaching him um so i suppose you would you would look at him
3: Do I adam, adam, adam's the name i'd have picked out of the hat as the one in recent years who's who's, kind of, who's missed who's missed out but sure um but i mean, I mean he was yeah still is a very, very talented driver Mm. it's just unlucky that he didn't get the brakes Mm.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, we should say at this point um, that motorsport magazine the one that's coming out any minute now the end of this week
2: as we speak, the subscription copies should be landing on doormats right, hopefully
0: Good. I'd like the editor just to give us a quick uh, rundown on a new look yes,
2: yes um, uh, we've changed, but not too much. So basically the content is still um, pretty much as it was before, with a few minor additions. We um, haven't taken anything away. There's still a lot of words. Um, I was asked last year how many words there are in the issue. I reckon it's something like 55,000, which is, a, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of books shorter than that. So uh, there's, there's still a lot of words in the magazine. Um, but basically we've got a bit of a, a refresh and a new look. Um For the new year basically so um uh the green the masthead is still green, which is the big thing that everyone uh would say to me if I ever mentioned change um but uh we 're just you know publishing world these days you can 't just stand still and do the same thing over and over again you 've got to try and evolve and improve and find new areas to you know we're chasing we 're chasing sales basically and uh uh, yes, so I'm not sure how the new look will go down. I'm I'm always nervous with, with these things, but um, hopefully, uh, well, I'm sure we'll hear in the next few days, but um, hopefully they'll like what they see.
0: Keep a lookout for it anyway, everybody, because uh, we need you more than you need us, probably. <laughs> but anyway, we need you, and uh, we love hearing from you, and thank you very much, everybody, who's contributed today. Um, Lee, can we... Uh, talk briefly about Bernie Ecclestone because a lot of people down the pub always ask me you know w- when's Bernie going to pack it in what happens after Bernie and I think this is an interesting question because in, in 2014 we have brand new cars brand new engines a whole new look for Formula 1 whether, whether we think that's a good thing or not um, and Bernie shows no sign of either slowing down or stopping so what's your take on what might happen
1: well, interestingly, he wasn't actually at the first two Grand Prix of the year, which was quite unusual. Um, I mean, who knows? <laughs> he doesn't give any clues and he loves to you know, spark surprises. So I, I think you need someone who's much more um, sensible than me to come up with the, the true answer. There's some people saying it's going to be his lawyer who'll take things over. There's some people say that uh, Toto Wolf is going to take things over. As a, you know, who knows? But it, it's certainly not me.
0: The way Toto <laughs> Toto Wolf will have taken over the entire planet. <laughs> Damien, what, what can you speculate at all on? It's it,
2: it's really hard to speculate. I mean, it could be someone totally faceless from within CVC who end up being being the uh, the, the, the guy pulling the God, strings. no, <laughs> it, yeah, But But um, but I mean, it, you know, in a way, it'd be nice to see someone we know. You know, someone who. Um, well, I was going to say Christian Horner, but at the moment he's got enough to deal with. But you know, if, if it was someone like Christian who who could be the the face of the sport and communicate to the world outside what's going on um, in a, in a slightly more um, modern fashion than Bernie manages, that that would be good. Well, we tried to pin Luca De Montezemolo down on this question. Um, Andrew Frankel's done an interview for the magazine with Luca at the Geneva Motor Show, and we I asked him specifically to ask him the Bernie question, and Luca sidestepped it, as he as he tends to. They've been friends for a long time, and he's not about to publicly, although he's put pressure on Bernie in the, in the past, he's not going to say it's time to go. He did say that uh, his friend Ratan Tata has stepped down from his business at the age of 75, because that's what the rules of his company were, and that, the, you know, that it was time for him to go, and he stood by the rules of his company and has has, has stepped down. So, indicating that Bernie is at the age where he should be thinking about it but it amazes me that we get to this stage and we don't know we have got no idea and it, it is all just speculation
4: yeah i agree but that it, it's been like that for oh, 20 years you know everybody's always been well is there is there no succession plan um and you remember i mean bernie had quad bypass surgery didn't he 10 12 years ago which, you know, you might have thought might have sort of speeded up the process of, of considering the future, but it appears not to have done. I remember Ken Tyrrell once saying to, uh, to, to Bernie, um, you know, B- Bernie, we've got to have a succession plan, We know, this is, this is, and Bernie just said, I'll live longer than you will, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Which Was true. Proved, yeah. Sadly, yeah. Well, really this decay. is the
0: thing. He he is almost always right about things, isn't he? But that's well, yeah. that's the.
3: I mean, the, the paddock will be. I mean, obvious thing to say, but I mean, it will be an awful lot duller for his presence. Last year in China, um, I was working for a national newspaper that weekend, and all they wanted me to write about was Bahrain this, Bahrain that, Bahrain the other. We're all getting ready to go to Bahrain. Blah blah blah. I said, Look, we're in China. There's a race here. No, just want to write about Bahrain anyway. I bumped into Bernie by the lift shaft. At the bottom of the, the lift goes up to the press center, I was with standing at and he came in and said, are "You guys okay, yeah, fine, Bernie. Are you going to Bahrain next weekend?" I said, "Yeah, we're going He said I said, are you going?" He said, "No, nah, far too dangerous." And, and, I, <laughs> and, and off he wandered. I mean of course he was going, but he, but he just I, mean, I just love this sort of the, the kind of random natu- <coughs> random nature of Bernie It's fantastic yeah I,
4: I, th- I think when as and when you know it is no longer Bernie. I think I think Formula One will change absolutely fundamentally mm-hmm. because I, I can't see a single individual running it, no. really. Um, I think it'll become much, much more um, faceless and anonymous. Um, and something I've always, it's always rather appealed to me that, that, you know, Bernie may be king of the world and everything else, but he uh, still, you know, you can go and thump on his... Door and uh, sure, you know, and he'll talk. Sure,
1: yeah, and he doesn't. Um, you know, even at the weekend when you saw the, the quotes that he put out about Lewis talking yes. to Red Bull and rolling yeah. his eyes when he suggested he yeah. went to Mercedes. You yeah. know, yeah, the timing of him oh, yeah. putting stuff out is just fantastic. And yeah. you sit there thinking, why would he have done that? And you think, well, why not? You know, he's sitting at home just throwing a few little grenades out and, would, you know, yeah, in the I comfort would, of his own home in London.
0: I would so much like him to retire and have a weekly television comedy show because he's one of the funniest men, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, think yeah, I would yeah, absolutely. Um, can we change the subject completely? Because we've only got about ten minutes left. Um, I wanted to just talk a bit about Robert Kubica because, I mean, his performance in the rally over the weekend... All right, OK, he didn't win it. But he's clearly really making progress is is do you think there's still room for him in formula one or not or do you think the time has passed
1: uh, i would be fantastic i think he's a huge loss I, I thought it was fantastic um talent a nice guy you know again quite an edgy guy always fun to interview um whether we'll see him in formula one it, it's sounding increasingly unlikely unlikely because yeah. i think you know he's a You can't come back unless you can actually do the job. And sadly, I think from the the messages that he's putting out at the moment, he can't do the job. Yeah. And it 's great to see him in these rallies. Well, I was meant to go to a rally to interview him and things last year, and he'd been you know leading again by a country mile and then crashed out and then obviously you know similar at the weekend and it's just uh, you can you can sense there must be so much frustration yeah, yeah, yeah. and at the moment he's he 's got all the talent, but he just needs to maybe rein it in a little but you know the the thing as well that you I always say to young drivers as well. Of course, everyone wants to be in Formula One. um, But actually, when they relax and realize that that might not be an option, there are plenty of other ways to enjoy motorsport and to earn a bit of money. (laughs) And, um, And I think that, you know, Robert, Whether he has or not, we'll probably want to get that into his head to understand that Mm. he doesn't actually have Mm. to be in Formula Mm. 1 to be able to enjoy motorsport. But you can tell how hard he's pushing at the moment.
0: Well, it was such a bad way to leave, wasn't it? That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
3: It's it's very telling that, I mean, bearing in mind that up until Robert, there was kind of no Polish involvement in Formula 1 at all. Nowadays, almost every circuit we go to, there are Polish flags in the grandstands with we miss you, Robert, get well soon, Robert. Even at
1: testing, uh, pre-season Yeah, testing.
3: And, it's, and it's almost every race, everywhere around the world, there are always Polish flags. And I have to say that for me in 2010, he was the driver of the season. He was fantastic. Circuits where a driver can make a difference, Monaco, Suzuka, Spa, that car was either on the front first or the second row. Um, the, he dropped three points all year through a fault of his own, which was when he was... Fiddling with the steering wheel settings, about to change from wets to slicks or vice versa in the Belgian Grand Prix, and he overshot his pit box by you know, six inches, and that was the only real error he made all season. He was fantastic.
4: Yeah, I mean, it struck me as significant um, that I mean, all right, I know they they were great mates. Well, they are, as far as I know, still still great mates. But for Alonso to say that he he think he thought of Kubica as the most talented. Yeah. Driver in the place. Quite a stone, Lewis has yeah, always said the same you yeah, know, yeah. on his
3: way up. Yeah, Who's nat- the most difficult guy he talent. came up against? Kubica.
4: Rallying
2: really needs him as well, though, because, you know, the current era, uh, it looks like Sebastian Auger is going to be even more dominant than Lowe with the way things are going. And if Kubica can rein in the, you know, the, the, the uh, understandable errors when you first come into the sport, um, which I'm sure he will, because he, he's got the work e- ethic that Kimmy doesn't have, he'll listen to his co driver, he'll do the recceing um, and he could be. A, you know, f- wouldn't it wouldn't be great if he became a, a world rally champion after everything he's been through.
1: And he doesn't have the name Sebastian, so no, that's, that's quite refreshing in this world of motorsport <laughs> yeah. that we're in at the moment.
0: <laughs> it's a bit of the buzzword of the
2: week,
1: isn't <laughs> it?
0: <really? laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Actually, just, just while
4: we're on rallying, it. I, I thought it was when I was Anthony Davidson telling me about a conversation with Stefan Sarazan about Kimi when Kimi was rallying, um, and he just. Well, you know, the problem was Kimi. Fundamentally, I mean, he had no interest in pace notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's, a, it's
4: a fairly fundamental omission, I mean, and it's not too difficult to believe either, is it, Kimmy? But <laughs> right. no, no. Uh, I do like Kimmy Raikkonen I do. The I, world's better place for having Kimmy Rijkenin. Yes. Yes. Maybe yes.
1: that's a feature I could drive for Kimmy or something. Else. You Maybe got not. It.
0: Maybe not. <laughs> right. We are going to hold you to that. We want to see that on the BBC television yeah. before the end of this yeah. year. <laughs> yep. don't choose the rally australia though because you couldn't be bothered flying there that's right you you couldn't Yeah, that's true okay um and uh sports car racing i wanted to mention as well because um it's potentially fantastically exciting with porsche coming in and audi being beaten by toyota i mean unthinkable only a couple of years ago so the, and i'm mentioning this because as you rightly point out there's so much else going on apart from formula 1 it's very easy to get obsessed with formula 1 isn't it um do you take any interest in these you know are you are you so busy
1: yeah i think i've got quite a lot of friends in um in motorsport, in different motorsports yeah. around the world, so I always take an interest, at least to find out how their weekends have gone. <laughs> just out of courtesy, if nothing else, I did go to Brands Hatch to a um, a GT race last year, and I, I was, by my own admission, slightly clueless about the whole thing. Um, but I did, but that's the whole thing. I mean, I I've never pretended to know. Everything about motorsport and the fact that you go, you can go into these things. You know, you you can have a great day. You can yeah. always learn something. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. You can always learn something. So, um, I tend to take a, a interest in various motorsports because, as I say, I have, I have a lot of friends doing sports cars or indie cars or whatever, rallying and everything. Um, so I've got to be able to hold a decent conversation. You know conversation. anybody in NASCAR? No. No. No, I don't know anyone in NASCAR.
4: No, I was just—I was when you were saying Indy cars. I was just interested to. Uh
1: if, your sprint cups and things—you've got PK, and I, I, you know, I know him, and I, I keep in touch with him. But um, I actually have never been to a NASCAR race. So. No. Oh, you, well, haven't
4: you lived. should, you should, you should. My yeah.
0: goodness me, that's another thing you've got to do before yeah, the end
1: no, of the year. Okay.
4: Every, everybody should <laughs> <leave>. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I did, see, I did do the NASCAR actually. swap with Tony Stewart and Lewis, actually, at Watkins Glen, um, two years ago. That was oh, that yeah. was great fun. And the, just even the difference in the the drivers <laughs> and the crowd. It was such a foggy day. So It was sort of Watkins Glen, cold, foggy day, and we'd just come off the that freezing, wet, seven-hour... Uh, endurance race of the Canadian Grand Prix that Jensen eventually won, and uh, just as we all got onto the grid and Tony Stewart was so excited, and as he steps into Lewis's Formula One car, a huge moment is his life, some guy shouts out of the grandstand, "Tuck it in, Tony!" <laughs> as he's trying to squeeze his way into this <laughs> into this F1 car. And I thought, "Oh my God, this is great. I like it."
4: Well, it, was, <laughs> it was funny on Sunday after the, the you know all the carry on in Malaysia. Sunday evening, I watched the. Uh, I watched the NASCAR race on, uh, on TV, um, which ended with a fight. In fact, it ended with a huge accident on the last lap, uh, a result of a grudge match um, between uh, Joey, Joey Logano and Danny Hamlin, which sadly put, has put Hamlin in hospital for quite some time. Uh, so Logano maybe doesn't find it quite as funny as he appeared to at the time. Uh, but after the race finished, um, <laughs> the, 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 the camera invariably at a NASCAR race focuses in on right, whereas today's fight, uh, post-race fight, and this was Tony Stewart attempting to separate Logano's head from the from the rest <laughs> of him. Um, but after the uh, there was the, the, then there were ads and this that and the other, and they went back and. Stuart is walking towards the camera with some pace, with an interviewer sort of running alongside him, trying to get him to speak. And uh, did you see any of it? Well, I mean, it obviously had been filmed sort of at least a few seconds earlier because virtually every word was bleeped. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is, this is a bit more animated than... Uh, Puts the bo- bottom <laughs> lips and Sepang into perspective, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, it did, it did. I mean, Sapang seemed all very sort of genteel. And well,
0: actually, you know what? The end of Sapang might have been better had it been an out, an out brawl between Weber and Vettel. That's, <laughs> e- that's
1: exactly what Gary Anderson told yeah. me he was hoping for. He was yeah. reminiscing about the days of, you know, James Hunt and yeah. people getting put off and, yeah, you know, and then expecting to see your car come round and then he wasn't there and all this. Yeah. And Gary on the way back was like, do you know what? Today was fantastic. All it needed was a good fight. Yeah, I agree. <laughs>
4: I'm with him. I, I remember saying to Cross once about um, this was after he'd retired, just about re- reminiscing about the you know the, the troubles with Senna, and I said, you know, you think back now, would you do it differently now? Uh, and he said. Yes, I would have eaten him. <laughs> I, I, sh- I should have eaten him. I still think, no, I should have eaten him. I, d- I don't
2: think Weber was too far away from it, was he? I think he did not have
4: taken I,
1: I don't think, think Weber no, versus well,
3: Vettel would well, last very long. It, it would wouldn't it wouldn't be. It it be, about be. Alan be, we'd, we'd Jones be and
4: Reutemann, Yeah. you know, and the suggestion that after, you know, the similar happening in, uh, in Rio in 81, they should bury the hatchet. And, and Jones said, yeah, mate, right in your bloody back.
0: but you know sport sport is about heroes and villains it's about the public identifying with characters either loving them or hating them isn't it i mean sports got to be dramatic and exciting it really has and that includes motor racing and the americans for sure as hell provide it don't they
3: it it is i mean it's it frustrates the heart of me sometimes that guys who you know from talking to them privately that they've got fantastic personality, character. They're warm. They're, they're, you know, they're, but they but you stick them in front of a microphone in Formula One, and all of that just switches off sometimes. And it's and, and that is that is very frustrating because a, a lot of people think that they're all bland and faceless, and they're not. No, no, no. I mean away, away, away from them. Away from them, they must frustrate you as well, Lee, particularly because yeah. you know you've got you've got to deal with it. But you know when they're unguarded and you see what they're really like they're, 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 there are some fantastic personalities there
4: mm-hmm.
2: just on this Weber Vettel thing I mean on a serious point these these sort of feuds inter team feuds can get out of control we've seen it in the past and you know um, how damaging they can be I mean you know, the, the the biggest example forever will be Villeneuve and, and Peroni um, how do we think the guys themselves and the team will, will handle this situation from here on in
0: it's us lee mckenzie because she's there all the time
1: <laughs> well firstly i thought it was interesting actually on sunday the difference in uh team radio and we don't get to hear all the team radio and i expect there's more to come out well i, I think i know there's more to come out but how ross braun communicated with Nico and Lewis. The difference of Ross' very distinct, you will not do this, Nico, you will not. It was like, you know, being at school. When you, or, you know, you're about to let down your friends, your family, the team, you know, everything. It was, a, it was a definite thing. Uh, whereas I didn't really hear that from either Rocky or from Christian. Uh, so you could get away with saying, I didn't really hear, I didn't understand the message, I chose to ignore the message, however you interpret that. But the difference, but you, there was no way you were going to go against Ross when you heard that. No, it was and just
4: sort of quiet authority, r- ab- yeah, absolutely. Bring, the car, bring the cars authority. home, please. Yeah. yeah.
1: You will not do this, Nico. Do that. And, and and actually when I interviewed Nico afterwards, you know, I had a huge amount of respect for him because not only is he going around the pen doing the same disheartened interview in six languages, six languages, it's incredible. Um, but he, he had an understanding, he had a respect, there was a respect for Ross, uh, whether it's right or wrong is not the point, but, but that system absolutely worked. Yeah. And then... By contrast you 've got Christian now trying to cover his own back, uh, protect his team, still try and protect Sebastian and Mark at the same time within reason and and it, and it seemed like a mess and this is you know the, the you know the, so much money, uh, endless advertising, all this you know cool new team in actual fact, all you needed was yeah, maybe the hard line i don 't know but he w- but as Christian said. Sebastian would have ignored him anyway. But that's not the point.
4: I, I'm, I have a lot of sympathy for Christian because I think his authority is inevitably compromised by Helmer Marko.
1: Absolutely, I think, I, 100%. I think but the, whole, would...
4: the culture of that team is the way it is because of Helmer Marko. Yeah, yeah Marco. I agree. But yeah. briefly
0: though, guys, it is true to say that on... I mean, okay, obviously I didn't hear all the radio either, but I never heard Red Bull explicitly give... A strict meaningful order I heard a lot of stuff about this is getting silly well that's and
1: my first question to Sebastian was did you get a, did you get an order from the team because you know you can sometimes you can miss the most basic fact, and the most basic fact is if he'd suddenly exactly. turned around exactly. and said i didn 't get it, then the foundations of the rest of your interview have been destroyed, so when he confirmed to me that he did get the order then it's open season then you can absolutely yeah. go for him why did you choose to ignore it well but, but he, what he should have done if he'd said instead of the sort of I, I couldn't I still don't really understand to a certain extent what he was saying but if he'd said listen I'm a racer Red Mist came down oh. I needed to get past yeah. to win a world championship you need maximum points if he'd said all this you would have gone okay that's a strong argument Aye, the truth absolutely <laughs> you know that's fair enough whether you agree with it or not you can understand that that argument, but there wasn't really any clarity from the pit wall, or from Sebastian, in the end, and it was just a, a mess. No, and,
4: and initially he said I didn't, I didn't do it deliberately.
1: Yes, he you know, didn't that deliberately lunge down the inside and turn one and keep yeah. it going all the way to turn four. No, no matter what would happen if he had done it deliberately, you know. I always remember
0: this when we drive into someone at a roundabout. I think <laughs> the thing, what,
4: looking back on the Jones Reuterman thing, I mean that never, ever, ever repaired itself. And at the end of the year, Reutemann was, in the, you remember, was in the running for the world championship with Piquet, and it was all settled in Vegas. Uh, and I remember the whole of that weekend, uh, you know, all through uh, practice, qualifying, everything else. Jones was on pole. Car- oh, no, Carlos was on pole, excuse me. Carlos was on pole. Um, but, the, uh, the, of course, the question to Jones was, you know, who do you want to be world champion? Um, I, and, of course, it was, couldn't get less, mate.
0: Yes,
4: neither one of those can't st- can st- <laughs> can't do with either of them. Think
0: Jonesy was a man to say who oh, I'm well, He was, Sorry, but I mean. was,
4: but the point, my point is that there was yeah. absolutely no question of even daring to yeah, ask Jones yeah. if he I'm would so. help yeah, sure mm.
0: Okay, well, it's been highly entertaining, has it not? And I very much hope you out there think so too. Um, Lee, thank you very much. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Fresh from Sepang, and we'll see her again in two and a half weeks in China. What a life! Um, let me just remind you quickly, everybody, of our subscription offer. I did talk about it at the beginning of the program, but to remind you, you can save up to 29 pounds and receive a free Simon Taylor Lunch with book. And that's obviously a book of Simon Taylor's "Lunches with Motor racing People," which I think, it's true to say, Damien is one of the most popular features in the magazine. It is very popular. So if you do subscribe, which we'd love you to do, for obvious reasons, save money and get Simon's book totally free of charge. Good. Thank you for joining us everybody. We'll see you next time.
3: Bye-bye.